Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 65, and we left off with verse 19. And let me read verse 19. I want to bring this to your attention again. It might be a little comfort to some who are here tonight that have not heard it. It says, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And it says, And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And I have a little article here by uh, C.H. Spurgeon. The voice of weeping shall be no more heard. And it says, The glorified weep no more, for all outward causes of grief are gone. There are no broken friendships, nor blighted prospects in heaven. Poverty, famine, peril, persecution, and slander are unknown there. No pain distresses, no thought of death or bereavement saddens. They weep no more, for they are perfectly sanctified. No evil heart of unbelief prompts them to depart from the living God. They are without fault before His throne, and are fully conformed to His image. Well may they cease to mourn who have ceased to sin. They weep no more because of fear of change, and it's in the past. They know that they are eternally secure. Sin is shut out, and they are shut in. They dwell within a city which shall never be stormed. They bask in a sun which shall never set. They drink of a river which shall never dry. They pluck fruit from a tree which shall never wither. Countless cycles may revolve, but eternity shall not be exhausted. And while eternity endures, their immortality and blessedness shall coexist with it. They are forever with the Lord. They weep no more because every desire is fulfilled. They cannot wish for anything which they have not in possession. Ear and eye, heart and hand, judgment, imagination, hope, desire, will, all the faculties are completely satisfied. And imperfect as our present ideas are of the things which God has prepared for them that love Him, yet we know enough by the revelation of the Spirit that the saints above are supremely blessed. The joy of Christ, which is an infinite fullness of delight, is in them. They bathe themselves in the bottomless, shoreless sea of infinite beatitude. That same joyful rest remains for us. It may not be far distant. Ere long the weeping willow shall be exchanged for the palm branch of victory, and sorrow's dewdrops will be transformed into pearls of everlasting bliss. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The voice of weeping shall be heard no more. I think that's a good uh, encouragement to all of us to know that There's coming a time when all of our weeping for sin and for pain and for sorrow, for bereavement, uh, whatever weeping may, uh, whatever category it may fit into, that it'll all be gone. Now we weep about everything and we have many sorrows, don't we? But in those days we will not have. But let's pick up in Isaiah chapter 65 with verse 20 now. There shall be no more thence... An infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. No weakness of youth and no infinity of age. When we think of the fact that diseases and calamities that rob people of life prematurely will be no more when the Lord sets up His kingdom upon this earth. And long life will be enjoyed by all believers because sin and death will end at a certain time. And we find that verse 21 says, And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat of the fruit of them. When we find that uh, the Lord restores 
His kingdom upon this earth or at the end of Galatian and at the coming of Christ and the book of Revelation chapter 20 when He sets up His millennial kingdom. And we find these conditions that exist and Isaiah is speaking of will be such as what we're describing here that they shall build houses and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and eat of the fruit of them and they shall not build and another inhabit. You know, when there's wars, will other people take over what you work for and build it? They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Men will live long to enjoy the fruit of their labors. Because uh, the lifespan will be extended throughout the millennium for the faithful. They'll have many, many years. We find that the trees here are well known for longevity. Notice what it says about uh, in verse um, 22. It says, They shall, they shall not build in another and have, they shall not eat and uh, not plant in another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people. You know, it's said of the great old oak tree that it, uh, some of the great grand oaks, it would take 500 years for them to fully develop and another 500 years for them to decay. So that's a long time, isn't it? And when man's lifespan goes back to the days of the, uh, like Abraham and those, and you come on down when you're talking about in the book of Genesis, even before we're talking about uh, Methuselah, 969 years. When we think of the age of some of the patriarchs and how old they lived, and God will restore that longevity of life, and we won't be dying as soon. We'll be, and be, we'll be healthy longer. And so what it says here, for as the days of a tree are the days of my people. We know that trees in general are spoken of as having a long life. I remember I had David to cut it down about a week ago, two weeks ago. But I had an old pine tree out in the front yard. When we built that house, I told my wife, and it's uh, 40 years ago, I said, we better cut that thing down because it's going to fall before the year's out. And it was still standing. Finally, it became so, well, I finally decided I better have David to cut it down for me. And he whacked it down the other day. Daryl was on the phone when we were talking. I was looking out the window. I was telling Daryl about it. And uh, he says, I'm glad... I says, there it goes, Daryl. He says, I'm glad you were on, we were on the phone talking about it when they cut that old pine tree down. But it'd been, it'd been dead. It was dead when we, when we uh, <clears throat> built the house. So it lasted 39 years after that. And it would probably still be standing and probably standing longer than I will if I'd left it up there. But I didn't do it. But anyway, the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. We're talking about a time that there will be in the future, a time of blessedness for God's people. In verse 23, they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. What do people bring forth for trouble? What does it mean? The curse is associated with tilling the soil, and, and childbirth will be no more for it. Notice what it says. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. Remember when the curse came upon this earth? Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And God said to, to the woman, that greatly, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow in childbearing, thy conception and thy sorrow, and bearing children. And then he, the Lord said to Adam, He says, Of the sweat of your face, you'll till the ground. 
the fruit of the ground all the days of your life. So the curse came upon man. And since that day, man that is born of woman is of a few days and they're full of trouble. But in those days, man that is born of woman will be of many days. And you'll see here that they shall not labor in vain for nor bring forth for trouble. There'll be pleasant days and peaceful days during the millennium. When we speak of the millennium, we speak of a time after the great tribulation that's revealed in the book of Revelation. And Jesus is coming back in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation in power and great glory. And then in the 20th chapter, we'll find that they lived and ruled and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So there was actually, uh, there will be an actually uh, uh, a government controlled by the Lord completely, and He will rule and reign at that time for a thousand years. Now, verse 24 says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. You know, God says, Before they call, I will answer. Over in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, let me read a verse or two of Scripture for you. When Daniel was calling upon God... In verse 20, Daniel 9, verse 20, it says, And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel. By the way, the Old Testament men, when they confessed the sins of the people, they confessed their own sins at the same time. Confessing my sins and the sins of my people, Israel. It says, And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, swiftly touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. When you first started praying, he says, God sent the answer back. The commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. And of course, he was showing him of some future things. And some things that we have to study in the book of Daniel. But what I want, the point I want to make is that before Daniel got through praying, God already had the answer coming back. The angel was coming back with his answer. Gabriel was coming back with the, with the message for Daniel. So, in Isaiah 65, verse 24, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. You know, God is not uh, slow to hear what we have to say. In fact, we can speak and, and He hears immediately. In fact, put it this way, before we speak, He knows what we're going to say. Now, that's really getting down to it, isn't it? Before we speak. You see, God is an all-knowing God. And you say, well, how does God know what I'm going to say? Well, he just does, because the Bible teaches that very thing. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all things. You know, we see things as an accident, but God foresaw what was going to happen. And there are no accidents with God. We, a lot of times, determine what we do by our actions, but God foreknows what we're going to do before we do it. You say, well, can I change the course of my life? Sure, you can change the course of your life, but it doesn't mean that God didn't know about that change. You can change the course of your life by turning to God. If you don't turn to God, you, you'll remain in your sins. But when you turn to God, you're going to change the course of life. But in doing so, it doesn't mean God didn't know that you were going to do it. He knew it beforehand. God knows the whole book. It's already in His possession, in His mind. So let's look at this now. In verse 25, we're talking about 
the, uh, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. In other words, all of animal life will be domesticated. The wolf will be domesticated. He won't any longer eat the lamb like he does now. They'll feed together. The wolf won't feed upon the lamb, but they will feed together. And it says, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. Most of you know the Discovery Channel and you see the different animals and how that they prey on one another and how that that's the course of life now. And they attack the herds of uh, various kinds of animals. The lion will do that. That's the only way it exists now. But the lion, it says, shall eat straw like the bullock. Can you imagine the lion out there in the pen with the, with the cows? You go out to milk the cow and there's a lion out there and He's just eating the straw and you go ahead and milk the cow. Kind of unusual, isn't it? But God's going to make it that way. And dust, look, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. I want to come back to this in a moment. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. You will no more be in danger from the poisonous snakes, but they will yet eat upon the dust because the very fact they will still bear the token or the semblance of that curse that came upon the serpent because of sin. Dust shall be the serpent's meat. It is today. It will be then. And the only difference then will be that the, the serpent will not hurt you. And the poisonous snakes will not bother you. You go back and read in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. Let's read a little bit of it. Verse 6, it says much the same thing. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Now look. <clears throat> and the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, or the adder, and the weaned child shall put his hand <clears throat> on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's going to be a day, isn't it? A glorious day when all of this will come to pass. So we find that, that God's going to do a lot of things for us in the, in the future. Now let's look at the 66th chapter, if you will. 66th chapter. This is a summary and a conclusion of the book of Isaiah. It says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me, build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? What's he talking about? God's majesty is incomparable to any earthly temple. There's going to be a time that the Scripture says, The tabernacle of God is with men. You find that in the book of Revelation. And by the way, this is not a protest against rebuilding the temple after it was destroyed, but it's a rebuke of to ecclesiasticism, the spirit that would build human walls around God. God cannot be contained in a building. You remember Stephen preached in the New Testament and says, The Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. But he says, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. I believe he's referring to this same verse of Scripture as far as that goes. But uh, look at verse 2 now. For all those things... Hath mine hand made. He's the creator of all things. And all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. God is going to look to the man that will 
trembled at his word. Even though God is the creator of all things, and all creation belongs to God, because he is the, its creator. But man's heart is where God most desires to dwell, and he would have man to be of a broken and contrite heart. It says here, poor and a contrite spirit, and a man to tremble at his word. Because if he is, has... If he has by his word spoken all creation into existence, what is man that he should not tremble at a God who can call the heavens and the earth into being? We sit down here and we get real proud and we get real haughty and we think we know a lot. They're sending uh, telescopes out into space now that are going to look into galaxy beyond galaxy. You see, when we talk about galaxy, we're talking about everything... Uh, the sun and the moon and the stars and and the planets that are within our own galaxy, and they say there are millions of them beyond. See, we don't know what's out there. And so we, we think we're pretty important sometimes. And God says if He made all, He said, all these things have my hand made. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. You have a footstool around the house? You have a... Uh, ottoman or a hassock out there or something you put your feet up on. Can you think of what this earth is? The earth is what? My footstool. Like this little step here. That's what it is to God. That's the earth. And then he puts it in perspective and said, But to this man will I look, even to him that is a poor and contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. God is to be feared because he is all powerful. And he tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will have no temple in it, only the Lord God Himself. Revelation 21, verse 22. Look at verse 3. He that killeth an ox is as, he, is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations." What's he saying about these people? He's listing here acceptable and unacceptable or illegitimate sacrifices. And he's telling of what these people do. He says, I also will choose their delusions and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes and chose that which I delighted not. Trying to worship God in such a way as presenting illegitimate and unacceptable sacrifices to God. The book of Ezekiel 23, verse 39. Let me read a verse of Scripture for you here. 23, 39 says, For when they had slain their children, listen, they had become so corrupt that they would slain, they had slain their children to their idols. Then they came the same day into my sanctuary to profane it. And lo, thus have they done in the midst of mine house. Can you imagine people being so corrupt and so religious at the same time that they would offer their children to idols and then turn around and come into God's sanctuary and try to act as if everything's okay. Well, that's corrupt, isn't it? We call that the greatest of hypocrisy to do such a thing as that. Look back in Isaiah 66, verse 5. Verse 5, the remnant that's suffering is encouraged here. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at His word. You see, in the midst of all that corruption, there's always a few that will tremble at God's word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but He shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. You see, if you're on God's side, you're going to be rejoicing, but if you're on the other side, you shall be ashamed. 
Verse 6 shows the sudden manifestation of the Lord. By the way, I might comment on what we just read in verse 3 about these illegitimate and illegal sacrifices. When we think in perspective of our own day, you know, he that now offers a sacrifice after the law is in effect setting aside Christ's sacrifice. You have people today that offer sacrifices after the law, but in effect they're setting aside Christ's sacrifice. And he that burns incense this day and hour puts contempt upon the incense of Christ's intercession. The only intercession, the incense of intercession is in the presence of God now presented by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he presents that. And he's just like one as if he blessed an idol. And men shall be deceived by vain confidence which they deceive themselves. We have people all over the world that are religious in many aspects. And they're offering vain oblations to God. And vain sacrifices. And God has nothing to do with them whatsoever. God doesn't have anything to do with those sacrifices. You know, you might get the idea sometime that you see a heathen. You see a people that are offering up uh, various ones of their family afflicting wounds upon themselves in some countries, thinking that by inflicting wounds upon themselves they can appease a holy God. But see, God doesn't accept any of that. That's to their ignorance of the fact of what God will accept. You say, well, they're sincere. Yeah, but they're sincerely wrong. But God has already condemned such things. And they need to be enlightened with the Word of God and realize that the only sacrifice that is fragrant and acceptable in the sight of a holy God is the sacrifice now of His only begotten Son. God God prefigured His sacrifice in the Old Testament by many sacrifices that were offered. But they're offered today. Uh, if they're offered today, they're they're out of order, and God does not accept them. In fact, He condemns them. Look at verse six. Here's a sudden manifestation of the Lord. It says, "A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that render rendereth recompense to His enemies." Have you ever thought about the mighty voice of God, the Lord's loud voice? which will condemn his enemies. The noise is like the uproar of a battle. If you turn to Psalm 29, let me read a few verses. In verse 3 it says, The voice of the Lord is upon many waters. You ever been out on the ocean and the sea, uh, we would call it out of control, is still under God's control. But as far as you and I are concerned, it's out of control when it will turn a ship over and, and all the kinds of things that happen. But the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God... Of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is, what? Powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. These high stately cedars. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Siron like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth every one speak of his glory. Isaiah 66, verse 7. Now here we come across an interesting thing. Verses 7 through 9 show the nation's rebirth. You know, God is going to, a nation is going to be born in a day in the future. And it says, Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? 
Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or a nation be born at once? That's exactly what's going to happen. In the future, a nation is going to be born at once. For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to birth and not cause to bring forth? Shall the Lord, saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith the Lord, saith thy God, rather? These three verses, we have a lot of interesting things. You know, the children of Israel go through the great tribulation. But it says here, before she travailed, she brought forth. If you read in the book of Revelation chapter 12, you're going to find that, that uh, Israel is spoken of in type and figure. And then it says she brought forth a man-child. And it's not talking about the Virgin Mary bringing forth a man-child. It's br- talking about the nation itself bringing forth a man-child, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, through His people. And of course, if you want to narrow it down, Mary is the one that brought uh, well, that Jesus was born of, but the Scripture there is talking about Israel in the book of Revelation chapter 12. And then, there's not only the birth of the, na- uh, of the person of Christ, but there's the birth of the nation of Israel in that chapter. And you'll, we'd have to go over there and study it, but we've studied it before. We'll get back to it at a later time. But what you actually have is the birth of Christ through that nation, and then the birth of that nation during the tribulation, uh, and they shall recognize the Lord when He comes again as as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so they're going to, a nation shall be born in a day, as the book of Romans tells us concerning that nation of Israel. And that's really what it's referring to. We'll come back and say a little more about it later on. In verse 10, Rejoice ye with Jerusalem. The joy of this birth will be a means of rejoicing. And be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her. All ye that mourn for her that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations. Now notice this. That ye, may, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. God is going to send peace to His people, and the joy of the Gentiles will be like a flowing stream. Then shall you suck, ye shall be born upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. So the nation itself shall bring forth the Gentiles. And as one whose, whom his mother comforted, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. There's coming a time that the comfort will will be to His people. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like an herb. And the hand of the Lord shall be known toward His servants and His indignation toward His enemies. You know, as a mother uh, brings comfort, this mother comfort that's spoken of in verse 13, and as one whom His mother comforted, those who have mourned will be divinely comforted like a child who is comforted by His mother. There's no comfort to, that comes to anyone like the comfort of a mother to a child. And in verse 14, it speaks of his indignation toward his enemies. And in verse 15, it says this, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke uh, with the flames of fire. So he's going to judge those enemies. Verse 14 mentions his enemies, and thus God's judgment upon them logically follows. God is depicted as ready to enter into battle against His enemies. And He will enter into battle against them. And God will judge anyone with fire and His sword who rejects Him. But those who 
receive him will be protected rather than judged. Verse 16 tells us that. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. There's going to be a future time that there will be many that are slain of the Lord. I'm going to read the rest of it and then give you a summary of it because to comment verse by verse from here on would just... Uh, I'd have to repeat it in summarizing what I'd like to say about it, and I did want to give you a summary of this chapter. So let's read the rest of it and look at it carefully as we read it. We're going to have the regathering after judgment, the blessings of the, for the righteous, and the destiny of the wicked all included in the remainder verses here. Three things, the regathering after judgment, the blessings of the righteous, and the destiny of the wicked. So let's read verse 16 through 24, and then I'll come back and read you a kind of a summary of this. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens, behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, this is a... Another animal that's condemned as unclean under the law, Leviticus 11, verse 29, shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come, it shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. There's a future day of glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarsus, Pull, and to Lud, that draw bow, to Tubal, and Javan. We can describe all of these isles later on. To the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. And they shall bring all your brethren for an offspring unto the Lord out of all nations. The Gentiles will come upon horses and in chariots and in litters. Those are coaches or wagons and upon mules and upon swift beasts. To my holy mountain in Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. So the children of Israel... Uh, the, these are going to bring the children of Israel to the house of the Lord. And verse uh, 21, And I will also take of them for priests and for Levites. God is going to make an exception to the rule as to how he chooses in, those, in the future days the priests and the Levites as the priests and Levites. Verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. Remember, Jesus is coming in power and great glory, and they're going to be, there will be a great destruction of the wicked. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring to all flesh." These are terms that Jesus uses to describe in the future even the fires of Gehenna. But it's spoken of here in the book of Isaiah. Now then, I want to just give you a summary of chapters 65 and 66. Now God describes what He will do when His kingdom is established upon this earth. And He reminds the nation of of their sins. We've already talked about in the 65th chapter when we... Uh, pointed out all of their sins. And he rebukes them by announcing his salvation for the Gentiles. Remember back in 65, chapter 65, he speaks of the salvation for the Gentiles. 
And the Old Testament promised salvation to the Gentiles, but it did not reveal that believing Jews and Gentiles would be made into one body or be into the church. You know, now Paul says uh, Jews and Gentiles and the church of God. And so the church is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, isn't it? Now then, uh, the nation deserved to be destroyed, but God would preserve her. The nation of Israel should have been destroyed, but God says, I'm I'm not going to completely destroy her. And his believing remnant would inherit the land, but the unbelievers would be cut off back in the book of Isaiah chapter 64. And Isaiah 65 verse 18 through 25 pictures the blessings of the kingdom when Jerusalem is the center of the earth. And we've already talked about some of those blessings. There will be long life, we've referred it to tonight. Death will not be destroyed until after the kingdom age when Satan is finally judged. You see, during the millennium, people will live and die. A lot of people say, well, in the millennium, no one will die. But people will live, they'll be born, and they will live and die. And remember that after the millennium is over, Revelation chapter 20, the devil will be turned loose to try to deceive the nations. In the four quarters of the earth. So just because Christ is ruling and reigning doesn't mean that man will not produce and and, uh, reproduce and have children. And there will be uh, things to deal with, but there will be longevity of life. And it will be after the new kingdom is set up, after the millennial kingdom, that there will be. Satan will be finally judged and then there will be the new heavens and new, new earth and things will be in the eternal state. People will work in their jobs in peace and happiness and see their labors fulfilled. Nature will be at peace and it will be a glorious day when that kind of a rule and reign is upon this earth. We have already mentioned that we have the miraculous birth of Christ mentioned, but we have the new nation that's mentioned that will be born. Israel will be born. A righteous Israel. There's already been the rebirth of the political Israel. In May of 1948, if you'll remember, May 14, 1948, when uh, Israel was established as a nation in unbelief. But the righteous Israel will be born when Jesus returns and they see Him and trust Him. And the tribulation period will be the time of Jacob's trouble, as the Bible speaks of. When this nation will travail in trouble and in pain. And it will be the time when God will purge Israel and a believing remnant will be spared to establish His kingdom upon this earth. It took years of political travail for the present Israel to become a nation. It took years for them to become a nation. Remember all that Israel had gone uh, through and the Jews had gone through until they were restored as a nation uh, in 1948? But listen, the restored nation will be born in a day when they see Christ. They'll be born in a day. And that birth is announced in the book of Revelation that we have referred to in the 12th chapter. That birth of the nation and the birth of the man-child as well. And of course that refers back to Christ's birth through Israel. But keep in mind the order of events that are going to happen before all these two chapters, or these last two chapters of Isaiah especially, will be fulfilled. Here are the order of events. The rapture of believers are going to take place. We find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's the first thing. that That's what we're waiting for now. Then during the tribulation there will be the rise of the Antichrist. Paul speaks of it in the book of 2 Thessalonians. I believe it's the second chapter. The rise of the Antichrist. And then 
there's going to be the breaking of the covenant uh, with the Antichrist, with the Jews, after three and a half years of that tribulation period. So in the midst of that tribulation, the covenant is going to be broken. And then there's going to be the pouring out of God's wrath upon the world. And Jesus speaks of that when He speaks of it in the book of Matthew chapter 24, to judge the Gentiles and to purify the nation of Israel. And then Christ's return is going to come from heaven. He's going to return from heaven to the earth to defeat the nations of this world in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. And then that battle of Armageddon is going to take place. That's what it's all about when He comes to defeat uh, those nations upon the earth. And then the establishing of the millennial kingdom. So what are we looking for now? We're looking for Christ to come for His own. The rapture of all believers from this earth. And then a seven year period of great tribulation upon this earth. And during that time, the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Jews. And in the midst of that seven years, he's going to break that covenant. And then Christ is going to come and pour out His judgment at Armageddon upon the whole remaining Gentile world of unbelieving world when He comes to defeat these nations at Armageddon. And then He's going to establish His kingdom upon this earth. And then you and I are going to enjoy a rule of peace and righteousness as well as as all the world that then exists. And I believe that kind of gives us a summary of the things that we'll find that will take place in the future. And many of those things Isaiah is pointing to, especially when he mentions these millennial blessings, the long life, the ceasing of hostility, of beast creation, the glories of that kingdom that is yet to come, the rejoicing in Jerusalem. Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her. So there's going to be a time of uh, Jerusalem's supremacy and glory in the future. So right now, you and I are waiting for the coming of Christ for His own. And then when He comes for His own, There's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation upon this earth, according to the book of Revelation. And then there's going to be Christ coming back to this earth in power and great glory in the book of Revelation chapter 19. And then there's going to be that millennial kingdom of a thousand years when the devil will be taken out of the way. And then after it's over, he's going to be turned loose for a a short time to try to do his last work and to try to deceive people. And then he's going to be taken and that's going to be the end of Satan. Then there's going to be a great white throne judgment. And then in Revelation chapter 21, John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth descending out of God from heaven. And then we're going to enter into the eternal state of things. So there's a lot in God's program yet in the future. And we can look forward to it. And all who are God's children can look forward to it safely. So the the warning that would be to most of us today would be to be prepared, wouldn't it? As Jesus said time and time again, to be prepared. Uh, I used to be in the Boy Scouts. And that's, you know, that's the Boy Scouts motto. By the way, they're trying to establish a troop here in Riodosa again. We had one for years and years and then it, I guess, dissolved or whatever. You're supposed to... Be prepared. And if it's a good watchword for them, it's certainly a good watchword for Christians because Jesus had it before the Boy Scouts did, didn't he? He said, be prepared. And so we need to learn to be prepared for everything. And as a Christian, we need to be prepared by keeping our fellowship with God and being right with God and doing what God wants us to do. 
And if, if there's anyone that is unsaved, they need to, of course, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior before you can be prepared for this life or the life to come. So that's what we'd say to you. Let's study the book of Jeremiah, please. And when we get into it, we'll talk about be a kind of a lot different subject in many ways. We'll talk about the person of Jeremiah, his call, first his birth, his call, and his ministry.